This is the 343 Podcast. I'm your host, John Pronich. Welcome to the show. Travis Clark, Travis M. Clark on Twitter, is the director of content at Top Drawer Soccer, one of the best independent resources when it comes to tracking and highlighting young American players. And specifically in Travis's case, uh, he does the work of tracking young American players that are eligible for the U.S. men's national soccer team. Travis does an excellent job of keeping an eye on U.S. eligible players in MLS specifically and tracking the number of minutes that each franchise gives to players born after 1995. His weekly spreadsheets are some of the most simple but potent pieces of content that are available. They paint a very vivid picture of exactly what is happening to young players across the country at the professional level. I followed Travis's work for quite a while and just recently him and I started to exchange ideas and opinions on a more regular basis. And Travis, like Joey Antone and Adam Bells, offers something different than most American soccer media members. And like I've said before, I think that it is important to highlight people that are doing good work. That is why I wanted to bring Travis on the show. Travis has also followed the work that we've done here at 343 for quite a while. He's been watching guys like Ulianes and Alex Mendez and Efra Alvarez as they've stormed through the youth soccer scene in America. In this episode, you will actually hear Travis mention that he defers to his colleague, J.R. Eskelson, who has also been on this podcast, uh, when it comes to certain topics. But Travis is well aware of the work that has gone in or gone on and gone into the making of these future pros that I just named uh, just a second ago. And if you're curious about what these players were taught over the course of their youth careers that has led them to play professional soccer as teenagers, you are in luck. The 343 Coaching Education Program, it gives you an inside look at the real training sessions that built these national team caliber players that Travis keeps a very, very close eye on. And 343 is the only place where you can see exactly what, in, what went into the making of the best players that this country has to offer. So if you were a coach, why wouldn't you want to have an all-access pass to the real drills and the real game footage for you to study? Maybe you want to get a feel for what we do or how we do it, and that's no problem. We have a free coaching course that gives you an incredible look at the basics of the 343 methodology. And whenever you are ready, the premium coaching membership goes even deeper with even more details and uses videos, ebooks, and recorded conversations with Brian Kleiben, the architect of the 343 curriculum, to give you a proper education in possession-based soccer. You can find all of that plus a ton more by visiting 343coaching.com. And I must mention, too, that it is that program that keeps this podcast going. So if you are a member, you are helping to fund this podcast, and I could not be more appreciative. So thank you, thank you, thank you for that. And with that, we will get into today's podcast with Travis Clark. Cool. Um, well, let's start by, uh, I, I guess, uh, an introduction. So if you could tell people who you are and, and what your what your day-to-day, uh, what your day-to-day activities consist of, we can, uh, we can go from there because I'll, I'm going to kind of pick you apart with, uh, 
with the with the whys behind you do some of uh, some of this work? Yeah, so you know, I help run. For those that don't know me, I help run TopDoorSoccer.com, which is, I guess, I want to call us the leading website that covers sort of youth and development and college soccer here. But we're also leading by default, which is we're the only website that kind of devotes time and resources to covering the game like that. So, you know, I do everything from you know helping track players, scout players at events to basically, you know, I'm a writer first and foremost. So I create the content, try to strategize on the best ways to package it and get it out there into the wonderful world wide web. So I, without going into too much rambling in detail, that's kind of the bigger picture of what I do. Uh, and that can vary from, um, you know, more club driven stuff from say January through July, which is where we're taught when we're talking. Oh, and then college soccer is a little bit of a bigger focus during the season, obviously. So um, that, that's kind of what we do. And I, for those of, listeners out there that don't know the website, uh, definitely check it out. It's a great resource. I think I try. <laughs> it is a great we resource. Try. And, and you guys have a, you guys have a pretty decent team. I interviewed JR previously and, and I know JR personally because he doesn't live that far from me in California, but you're, you're not in the same neck of the woods as us. You're on the East coast. So maybe if you could describe your team and, and kind of how you guys delegate tasks or how you guys work together on certain projects and, uh, what that kind of looks like for, for top drawer. Yeah. So uh, I'm not sure what you guys, I apologies. I never listened to the episode with JR meant to, but I've got a long podcast list, <laughs> but the, you know, he, I kind of primarily handle the East coast guy. There are three of us that do the sort of the content. We have a, you know, a colleague Sheldon Schiller who he spearheads like the college recruiting angle and, uh, high school soccer which is sort of his bread and butter it, he's done that for like a decade plus and so we each kind of have our own silos jr oversees a little bit more of the scouting side of things because he's got a little bit more of the coaching soccer background on him so you know he'll do the the primarily do the player rankings which i know aren't everyone's favorite cup of tea some days they're not <laughs> mine you know um so that and i kind of handle everything else i'm like the catch-all guy that's moving around looking to see what needs to be done when and a lot of what drives what we do is the you know what was happening in the soccer scene obviously we're that, that's three people we're trying to cover a nation of thousands of soccer players at a variety of levels so it comes down to trying to figure out a what resources we need to use to travel which is obviously limited we're a small company based in california and then looking at okay what when we cover something, how will it, will it bring people to our site? You know, what kind of relationships do we have with people that run sites? We'll help share our content, that kind of a thing. So it's a bunch of different stuff that can vary from day to day. You know, like, I'm like I talked about before, the college side of things is a little bit easier because you have dedicated, uh, you know, press folks who are called sports information directors that universities that will help you disseminate what you're writing about or help you get to know what's going on with their team. Whereas for a lot of club soccer, you know, John, you know, this, like, you know, they're very limited access to avenues. So, you know, your development Academy, ECNL, a lot of that is our main coverage because, you know, I obviously know that those leagues have their naysayers, detractors, whatever, but they do the best job of packaging and putting together information for us as sort of writers and content creators to make what we can of it. Obviously we're going beyond just what we see on a website, but 
a lot of the times we're small staff, so that's what we got to rely upon. So um, that I think that kind of answered your question. I'm not not 100 percent sure, but hopefully that is touching on it just because it's very comprehensive. It's a lot of it's very massive is what we're trying to do with a very small number of people. It's it's interesting, and you did answer the question, but this is I've said this a number of different times now that the hardest part of hosting a podcast like this is that when you give an answer like that, I come up with forty different questions just from your <laughs> one answer. So what really stuck out to me that I wanted to follow up on is the process that you guys go through when it's like, hey, like what game or what player or or what uh, activity? I I don't know how to how to describe it or how you guys would describe it, but. Like what makes you guys want to to cover something? So what yeah. what what makes you guys put something on the front page? And I'm going to come back to this question too uh, a little bit later when I ask you about you know your work that I don't think is really part of your your job when you track the uh, the young players in MLS. But uh, yeah. but I'm going to ask you a similar question when we get to that later. But yeah, so what what makes you guys cover something? I guess is is the question that I wanted to ask. Yeah. So. If we're talking about actually traveling to and covering events, it's, you know, stuff that it, it, we get to approach it from a, you know, a, a little bit of an editorial mindset, right? We are we covering something that will bring people to our website. Are we creating content that will attract readership? And one thing that I've learned is that soccer in the America is very siloed. So like, especially for the consumers that, we serve. I, I hate to throw out these like buzzwords, but I'm going to do it a little bit uh, <laughs> simply because I can't think of better ways if I can't think of better ways to describe it, but I'll try. So um, one thing I've learned is you have, you know, sections of fans, right? So you have, um, you know, everything from your soccer parents that are, you know, have teenage players, boys or girls that are trying to become college players, professional players, whatever. That's kind of one of part of our audience, right? You have the the players themselves, whether that's a college age player or a, a club's current club soccer player, youth national team player, whatever. You have your, you know, fans of soccer in general. I, I think you could break that into smaller bits too. But you know, a, you know, your casual like American soccer fan, however you want to define him or her, may not be interested in learning about the ECNL finals, whereas the um, the parents, the players that are in the ECNL, they're going to be a little bit more interested. That's going to be their primary reason for visiting our website, if that makes sense. So a lot of that, when it comes to picking what you can, what we cover, a lot of it, you can just cherry pick and like, okay, I'm going to do this and focus on this particular element. So like, for example, you go on our front page right now, I did a story that rounds up like what young Americans are doing in Europe, like where they're, you know, Akia Watt signed in Spain. I think that's interesting to like, your men's national team fans. Whereas again, the aforementioned club parent may not know who Akil Watts is. So a lot of it is you've got to be, you've got to just be willing to accept that not every single piece of content you're going to do is going to appeal to everyone that may be coming to your website. So that's one of the challenges that I've always kind of faced and tried to wrestle with and figure out, okay, how do we get, you know, the biggest amount of the soccer fan, soccer consuming fan, to our site. So that's kind of my overall approach and look at how, when I pick something, and you know, again, like I mentioned before too, a lot of it's just the calendar, right? So right now it's July 11th. So a lot of my focus is going to start turning onto the college scene, college soccer. And I, I'm just one dude trying to cover 
that too. And, you know, JR does it here and there, but he's busy on the club scene. So I'm going to be figuring out ways to cover college, you know, whether it's the same as we've done in the past or trying new things, doing things in different ways for this uh, the upcoming season. You brought up a very, uh, uh, it's a point that I don't think gets talked about enough where there's, I think you said there's kind of different silos of, mm-hmm. or categories of, of soccer fans or these soccer worlds that exist in the United States. And it's very, very important that I think we identify that and it doesn't get talked about enough. So yeah, there's like these people that operate at the very, like the tip top of, you know, pyramid, I guess you could say, but, um, mm-hmm. But yeah, those are like the people that are that are the Akil Watts, the people that are uh, watching or keeping an eye on that group or that caliber of player, right? And that's mm-hmm. really the professional mindset. And then you have, and those people take it incredibly serious as they should. And then you have, yeah, like like the next you know tier down, maybe you know guys that want to play MLS uh, might be making the jump there from the DA, might be doing the jump from uh, college soccer. Uh, or N- NWSL could be the same thing, right? They could be going mm-hmm. from college to, to NWSL. So there's kind of like that tier. And then there's the college tier. And then there's like the, the youth soccer, like, you know, DA, ECNL, like super competitive tier. And right. there's the high school tier. And, and there's so like, these, all these like little fractions, right, of, of people that exactly. that think that they're operating at the, the you know, the tip top of, of the pyramid. But really they're at the, maybe the tip top of their, area of the pyramid mm-hmm. and, and and i've always been interested in having that conversation with people and, and and i think it's important to have it because there's a place for all of that there's a place for all of that soccer inside of the united states 100 yeah. percent, i i believe that but we do a terrible job or i i think we can really place blame on the federation does a terrible mm-hmm. job of organizing all of that and and using it and getting the the max potential of all these people that do think or that want to participate at the tip top of their potential. And so, you know, yeah. hearing hearing somebody like you kind of you know talk about like, you know, I recognize that all this exists and how I how I write to all these different groups is, you know, this way or this way or that way. I think that's super interesting. Um and it's something that doesn't get talked about enough. I don't know if you guys actually talk about that as a group, like JR and I can't remember the other person you mentioned. Um, but is that is that a conversation that you guys have that where you where you guys know that you know these different areas exist? Yeah, you know, we touch on it from time to time, but we've also, you know, this is probably a little bit of a negative. We're a little, we get we get into a little bit of a groove where you can, you know, just kind of re- really reach on content or angles that are reliable, and it's hard to like. And you know, part of that is just being limited from a resource scope where you just kind of got to stick to what works previously, tweak things here and there when you can. But we, you know, we have that conversation, but I think that for me, addressing your point, I wanted to kind of go back on what you said because it's interesting and it's true. Is it, uh, I think that one thing that this job has taught me and I've been doing this for, you know, I think six years now, which is kind of miraculous and incredible. And (laughs) I'm very grateful for it. Even if there are tough, tougher times, you know, the the federation to figure out a way i think soccer here in the u.s is that it should be and, and you know this is, maybe this is cliche maybe this is simple but i feel like any player should be able to reach their you know max potential without having to go too far out of his or her way like you read all these stories about kids having to go on like insane car trips to just play a certain level to get 
even notice for college. And yeah, I get, I understand everything that goes behind it and how the, you know, the geography of our country makes that tricky. But I, I still think saying, oh, it's the geography issue. That's why this is happening. But there's got to be a better way. It's kind of the, <laughs> the, the sentence or motto that I keep, I keep coming back to. And I know that the Academy has been around for 10, 11 years. You know, they just dumped the girls day on top of what was already existing previously. And they're having their all kinds of hiccups with that. So I, I think, you know, Carlos Cordero just took over as the Federation president, but, and he kept talking about like the world cup is going to solve our problems. And I'm just like, there's such this top, top down mentality, top down mentality here that I've learned about and it's sort of like I feel like if we went bottom up that could you maybe nothing maybe it won't be utopian and perfect but that could solve some of these issues where any player in this country should be able to find a pathway that suits him or her without like going insane distances maybe that's too much to ask I don't know no I don't think it's too much to ask and I think the top down or bottom up approach uh or or that conversation is something that you know, we hear quite a bit and I think maybe something that gets lost in that is, and this is just my opinion, right? And I, I come in here, I hate the, saying the words I think because I'm like, oh, okay, well, here I go. I'm going on a soapbox again. Um, but, <laughs> but I'm going to continue. I think, uh, that, that if you, if you fix the top with the bottom in mind, or if you, if you look at some of the problems that, you know, fixing the top, um, or if you, if you look at some of those problems uh, from from uh, a bottom uh, perspective and yeah. being like, what can we fix that's a few notches above the bottom that's going to help the bo- raise the bottom, I think, is is what we need to look at. Like, you can't just focus on fixing the bottom. Like, the bottom is the bottom. You can't right. fix you can't fix no, the bottom. But but if you fix the things that allow the bottom to move up. Well, OK, then then you're then you're really focusing on the yeah the bottom, but you're not fixing the bottom you're fixing the things that are you know three four f- rings uh, ahead and and i think that's what kind of gets lost in in that conversation where people want to focus on grassroots and improving the technical ability of the players and and all those things are great you know of course like you know we we need our players getting uh 10,000 touches on the ball a day or whatever you know these crazy guys are, are saying in 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 the research and Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to try to dispute that, but it's like, okay, cool. Like if we get, you know, the kids more touches at the grassroots level, well, what's next for them? Like you know, where, where do they grow? Like that's to me, that's the problem. So uh, if we can identify that, you know, the bottom needs a place to, to grow. Okay, cool. Like let's start working on the bottom and, and, and give those kids a 10,000, their 10,000 touches, but let's also work on opening the, the next door for them. So I don't know. That's yeah, my soapbox I, I for, totally, the, for the day, Travis. <laughs> I, I totally pushed you onto it too. I didn't mean to. My bad. <laughs> no, it's all good, man. Um, and and I guess this is kind of a, a, a good way to transition into what I really, really did want to talk to you about. And it's something that I've highlighted multiple times, and I, I, don't, I can't even count now how many times I've, I've tagged you in uh, in, in conversation I've been having on, on social media and, and really trying to turn people onto the work that you've been doing of you know tracking this country's youngest professional players uh or tracking the actually uh tracking the professional organizations or franchises in this country and highlighting you know how few young american players are getting minutes 
in professional games. And I think that's, you know, super important to highlight. And it kind of shows that, hey, like, you know, look at these kids that are, you know, flourishing at the bottom, but they're not getting mm-hmm. their chance at the top. And, and I guess that's one way to connect the two conversations there. Um, and yeah, so talk, yeah. If, if you could talk a little bit about that project and, and tell people what that is that I'm describing and, and maybe why um, you are uh, you're doing that. Yeah, so it started as just something I was, you know, I've always, obviously, we're covering younger players on top for soccer, right? So we cover the kids that are coming through the academies, uh, you know, MLS or likewise. But I was, just, I don't know what inspired me to do it. And it actually, JR, that was like, I started with like under 25s, like players born in 93 or later. He's like, why are you doing that? That's kind of stupid because <laughs> there's that whole like, the misconception of what constitutes a young player in the United States yep. versus the rest of the world is, you know, very staggering. So uh, I, I quickly bumped that up to uh, 1995. So basically what I was doing was every week and I have, I've been slacking off due to event coverage, doing my wife being away and I was watching the kids alone. And the, what I was doing was going through each MLS game and highlighting the, the minutes played by American base, American eligible, and like, you know, guys that could play for the national team. Like if they play for another national team, they weren't eligible. That's kind of technicality, but basically tracking to see how many minutes each team was running out these younger players. So, uh, you know, that would go rather interestingly on social media. And I thought, oh, I was onto something. So actually, I don't even think I've told you this. I'm, I'm saving this as an exclusive for a podcast. I was I was at an event where a day, a day of games got canceled and stayed in my hotel room for most of the day. And I grabbed numbers from like uh, five other leagues around the world. So and Portugal, Germany, Mexico, France, and Netherlands. I think that's five just to see how that compared, like how many percentage of minutes went to under 23 players. So, but the whole drive behind it is to give people the idea that, I, I'm not really sure what my my idea was, but just to, to point out the fact that MLS and is is touting all these things they're doing with their academies, but there's still this re- there's this hesitancy for a lot of these teams to actually give these kids minutes somewhere. And I know that a lot of them are rolling them out in USL, and uh, you know that's much better than it was even like three four years ago, where if you were like a 16 17 year old signing with Major League Soccer franchise, it's like if you're i would let you like to go go to the agent and be like what are you doing man like not only is it the issue with getting minutes you know, yeah sure they're getting regular training time but these these deal a lot of these deals i, I don't know if people know or have you talked about a lot of what uh, you know constitutes a sort of a classic mls homegrown deal is these three years uh guaranteed and then two club options so that's five years so if you sign that at 17 year old and you are see out your contract over five years and you don't get any time like you might as well go and play college soccer, you know, no disrespect to that. But it's like, I just think about all these things and, you know, people love talking about MLS and the strides that it's made. But one thing that working my job has transferred me is a little bit of a MLS curmudgeon where I'd be like, I don't know how this is going to work out for the men's national team. If we're looking at it from that perspective. And I, I understand that what benefits the U S men's national team or benefits an MLS organization doesn't necessarily benefit the national team, even though, they want to, you know, they made those splashes for Dempsey and Bradley and put all those money to those guys to like capitalize on their like market share of being on the national team. And look where that got us, right? I don't want, you know, people don't talk about that, the U.S. World Cup failure, but it's like, 
I don't you can't you can't just pin it on MLS, but it's like it's play, it played it, it played an issue. Like it was a problem. Like people don't talk about that. So I know I just said a bunch of stuff, but I think that's what kind of inspired <laughs> me to do that. And and I think that it's for a league with no promotion relegation, which is what you kind of hinting at, where you know you're building pathways for players and organizations. It's like Don Garber keeps talking about not getting this. I think I'm firmly an advocate that there should be some kind of rule like they do in Liga MX. It's like there's no reason not to. Yes, I know younger players got to earn their places, but what if you are then you have to sign younger players and then give them a shot and maybe they get better? Like it has to be mandated because you don't see it a lot from a lot of these teams. Even though I will admit 2018 looks to be a little bit better, but we'll see when it's all said and done at the end of the season. I want to ask you about like yeah the the results or the findings from from this year so far in just a second but um I, I want to point out something funny that somebody mentioned to me and I keep coming back to this I keep mentioning it actually in, in personal conversations I've been having but PDL you know it, it it stands for Premier Development League and somebody pointed out that there are you know a number of 30 year olds in the PDL it's like okay well they're obviously far far away from their mission if they're playing 30 year olds in PDL so it was just it's something funny that, to think about uh, <laughs> that is know. that is funny because that's how they brand themselves but and I you should you should give them some credit like where else are these college kids gonna play but yeah it's so sort of weird when you see like um, you know, washed out college players that are keeping the dream alive. And I get it. You need bodies, you need minutes. Not every kid's going to be there, but still it's, it's, I, I, I honestly never even thought of it like that too. So it's, it's kind of funny. Yeah. It's just something like I, 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 again, I had never thought about it like that either. I just think of PDL as like the three letters. I, I never think about it or, or translate it to premier development league. And it's like, okay, well, what is a 30 year old doing developing uh, and taking away time just, from from these young just kids, keeping, you know? just keeping the dream alive. That's all. <laughs> exactly. Hey, man, that's that's what Sunday League is for at that point. That's uh, true. Yeah. So, tell tell me a little bit about like what you've you've found with this data that you've been you know tracking for uh, twenty eighteen. I guess is 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 what we can kind of limit it to because I'm I'm kind of familiar with the goose eggs that have been thrown out there for you know weeks and weeks and weeks, but. I think that, mm-hmm. that people might be interested in, in knowing that there are, you know, maybe are a couple MLS franchises that are that are, you know, making at least a, a, an effort to to play some of the kids. Yeah, you know, I, like like I mentioned before, I'm a little bit behind on it, so I don't have my up to date numbers. But I, and I'm not going to just I don't want to just sit here and like list off teams. I think it's a little bit boring. But you know, clearly Real Salt Lake and what they're doing, they are starting three three fourths of their back line are homegrown players so you have Danilo Acosta, Justin Glad and Brooks Lennon all even though Lennon you could be like well he went to Liverpool for a couple of years but as a forward right <laughs> yeah and he's now playing at right back and uh, I think they they're doing a good job and I think that's what what teams could really do set themselves up for success is you fill these gaps in and then, you know, someone like RSL, where you don't want to spend a ton of money, you don't want to drop like $5 million a year contracts, you can make smart buys from like your South Americas for, you know, players in the final third or whatever you can fill your holes in if you have like a decent spine or decent, um, decent setup in different parts of the pitch. So they've, those guys have done pretty well. Uh, Philadelphia Union, I think it's kind of hard to be like, well, they're doing a good job because they can't score goals, but They've been starting Mark McKenzie and Austin Trusty, two guys that came through their academy, played games with the uh, USL team at Bethlehem Steel. 
Trustee skipped school altogether. Mackenzie actually went to Wake Forest for a season, like literally the fall season last year. And he played like five games because he was behind. And I think that that's, that was, that's an interesting story in and of itself where you have this highly rated, highly regarded player, but you know, there's a senior ahead of him, a guy that's finishing his degree, uh, Kevin Pollitt's, he eventually got injured. So Mackenzie started like all of their NCAA tournament games. So he, him in that, they're kind of the, the clubhouse leaders. FC Dallas, which is has signed literally like two dozen homegrown players, uh, they get about three or four players, sometimes two. Um, you know, Kellen Acosta is on a, in the middle of a, a little bit of a down season, so he's a guy that I know a lot of folks have looked at from a national team perspective. Who um, he, he had an injury at the start of the season. One of their players actually was a who still fits my criteria is Jacory Hayes, and he's been somebody that's you know was taken in the draft last year really good player like you watch him in the college but he's he's on this that classic mold of like in american soccer there seems to be this like you must be this tall to play as a domestic <laughs> u.s player and jacory is just a little bit under that but he's like this crazy smart dude like i think he double majored in like physics and math or something and he's a pretty good player like he's a solid mls caliber player that's gotten some run this year so that's kind of boosted them more than their academy so that'll be interesting to see you know outside of that um the sporting casey's outside back jalen Lindsay from the u17 team last year is starting to get some run and then dc united with their uh, other they signed they had another kid they had signed who went when he was i guess 16 chris durkin he's he's almost hit the 1000 minute mark which is uh, just i'd say he's like top three in terms of minutes played for you could even say like under 18 under 19 maybe under 20 types just to be safe so there's there's been nothing earth shattering you don't you see a lot of zeros but i would say the majority of teams are at least giving one or two guys a, at least a little bit of run for this season there's still a little bit of like what are you guys doing here signing these kids well you know james sands with nycfc he's another u17 guy from last year that they don't have a usl team he's been playing on their academy team that just finished up i know it's a sore subject for me to bring up with you but you know he was playing on their u19 team at the da playoffs and you're just like like you could have signed him this summer and he could have like felt out his college options a little bit more if he wanted to or maybe if you're his advisor like an agent type that's working with him maybe look to go overseas why are you tying yourself down to a club this soon so uh, i could go on and on about players and teams and clubs but uh, I, I don't i don't think it'll be great podcast material <laughs> well travis i'm i'm also curious if there or if you're aware of anybody or if you are yourself doing this uh this other project w which would be tracking the same age of players uh american eligible that are you know getting minutes uh outside of the country are, are you are you doing that or is, are you aware of anybody else that's doing that i haven't seen it myself uh the i did a big sort of on our on left site a few months ago a couple months ago at the end of the European season, so like end of May-ish, early June, just rounding up the, and we've talked about this before, it's kind of hard to get a set, I mean, obviously guys playing first team soccer, it's not that difficult, but um, it, a lot of these players are harder to track, and there's a little, I think, I'll, I think I'll make a goal to do that, though, for the upcoming summer, but I did think it's interesting to mention that as I, when one of my earlier diatribes, I was talking about the project where I was comparing MLS to these other leagues. So I, I just wanted to bring that up because it's interesting. I, I broke it down into a percentage of minutes going to U23 domestics. I know that's like very conditional, but 
unsurprisingly, the the Eredivisie in the Netherlands first division had 18% of their minutes went to domestic Dutch players. Then USA can I included Canadians too, so this number looks a little bit better for MLS, but they're at 5.6%. So I think that in and of itself paints a picture of okay, you have Holland, this this league that is well known for developing younger players and giving them chances. That's where they are. And this is where uh, USA and Canada is in terms of domestic. And France and Germany were at 13.5 and 12.1 respectively. So I think that's an interesting thing to just kind of throw out there. We don't have to do anything with it or not, but it's uh, something that I pulled together during this uh, day of having nothing to do. That's a good way to, it's a good way to spend a, a day off, man. <laughs> super uh, nerdy, super nerdy. Yeah. Hey, we, we, we need, we need that type of work, like the work, uh, that you do. Are you familiar with Adam Bells? Yeah. I, he, uh, he's somebody that I correspond with often. He does, I feel like he does a better job than me and this is my full-time job. So, but I, <laughs> I know his, his focus is more narrow, even though that's like, he's doing that as a hobby. And I'm like, man, you're making me look bad, Adam. Come on. <laughs> no, but it's, it, but it's important stuff. And I think that there's, you know, maybe more now than ever, there's some, you know, some guys like you and Adam, and and Joey and Tone that are you know doing a higher quality work than what we were getting maybe ten or fifteen years ago where people were just like saying hey you know this player is here and and that yeah. was really the, the the extent of the coverage where you guys are like taking a way deeper dive like hey these are the minutes these guys these guys are getting and and th- these are the reasons why they're in this place or you know these guys are on trial here here and here it's like we're getting way more information than we ever used to get and it's really coming from a handful of you guys and and that's the reason why i wanted to bring adam on the podcast and bring you and jr and joey and because i feel like your guys' work is super important so uh, yeah i, well, say thank I appreciate you. the kind words i think the the thing to point out too like it's always difficult to me because I, you, you, people talk about how american soccer overhypes kids and younger players because you want to see promise of the future and blah 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 I know it's something you see in a lot of sports too, but it's like, okay, at some point I gotta, you gotta point these, just point out that they're doing it just because you're doing that. doesn't mean like, Hey, I think this kid is going to be sensational because he's already playing for yeah. an MLS team. It's like, I'm just trying, I, I always try to toe the line. Cause I know that we get accused of that, of being a hype machine at TDS. And while that is true to an extent, and I will all concede that at least some ground to it. It's like, I'll push back a little and be like, look, these players are, are considering themselves to be on elite tracks. I, w- I would say even for the women's too, the women's side too. So there's going to be some coverage and some spotlight, which I feel like they should be able to deal with it and respond and kind of make with it, make, you know, make kind of, I don't even know what I'm saying here with it, but like respond to it and not let, not be overhauled and think they've accomplished anything if they want to like play in Europe or whatever. That's just something I wanted to throw out there. I don't know yep. really know why, but. No, absolutely, man. I think it's important, you know, to just just knowing or just just being um, the person that that informs the the American soccer fans that hey, so and so is playing second division in Germany, or so and so is playing first division in France, or you know, so and so is on trial in the Netherlands. That's not necessarily hype machine. These are just facts, and yeah, and 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 this is important for people to know because I think uh, when somebody you know makes a blanket statement saying. Uh, you know, American soccer players are are decades behind uh, the rest of the world. It's like, well, you know, not really. When you think about how many uh, you know American players are are you know now playing in second divisions or third divisions all around the world, I don't. I wouldn't say we're decades behind. 
there are a lot of other factors that 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 go into why we aren't uh um you know achieving mm-hmm. at a, at a certain level right uh, yeah. maybe at a, at a world class level but i've 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 come to the conclusion now that it is not the player's fault uh that we have you know talented players that can you know stand up to the you know at, at least you know uh, maybe not the top five or six countries in the world, but there is no reason that we shouldn't be competing, you know, with other top 10 or top 20 countries in the world. We have the players to do that. And we've proved, and we've proven that before. And, and I think, you know, the next probably handful of years, maybe the next two cycles is going to prove that again. I, I think mm-hmm. I, I, I do think that that, that is going to be proven true, but I still think that that is nowhere near our max potential. That's the problem is that yeah. I, I think that we can easily, perform at or you know near the same level as as a lot of the uh, countries around the rest of the world leagues or or you know when we're talking about actual country um Mm -hmm. but i still think it's just we're nowhere near hitting the max potential that's the problem so well at the very least we should be able to beat trinidad and tobago at the very least we should beat trinidad and tobago (laughs) at the very least i don't i don't mean to bring that up at the very end of our conversation but it's like (laughs) Ugh. I think anyway, I, I yeah, I'm not I'm not gonna go there because it'll just get us on another tangent and we'll uh yeah it'll it'll I'll probably <laughs> say some things that I'll regret and you know all those things but I do agree with you 100 percent though it's like we're not as bad as missing the World Cup should be but we are doing things that and you know doing things like I, I don't know how all the answers to what needs to be changed or done because it's very complex and there's a system that's been that's risen up and grown from, you know, basically selling sports as a, you know, a product and selling college as a destination you get, you get to by playing the sport. It's like all these like things that are knotted down and there's not momentum or leadership that will undo all the knots without like leaving things, you know, here or there for special interests or friends or, you know, whatever. So I think that what you said is kind of spot on where it's like, we have, we have these players that are, you know, you, and I see it too. I see it. I, I compare, um, you know, you watch, you know, you talk to players, people that know the game on both sides of the pond, you talk to players, uh, I'm sorry, coaches, and you see players that are, you know, with 14, 15, 16 in Europe. And you're like, well, we're not far behind that, but there are these certain gaps that appear and that's where we need to like really tussle with and lock down. Absolutely. Um, do me a favor real quick and, and tell people where they can, you know, find you or course or, or interact with you and, and, uh, and see maybe these, uh, charts that we were talking about earlier that you've been tracking all these, these players in, in major league soccer and, and maybe find your study that you're, you mentioned a couple of times about the other, the other leagues. Around yeah. The world. I actually haven't even posted that anywhere, but the, uh, my Twitter is at Travis M. Clark. That's where I post these lovely, beautiful Excel spreadsheet, uh, screenshots that i post that <laughs> that seems to be the easiest way to communicate that but i need to get back into it now i feel like i'm being uh i, I feel bad to be on the podcast now that i have after not doing it for a couple of weeks but uh not i'll have all, to jump man. back in and see how <laughs> see how these teams are doing um okay cool. uh travis m clark at are on twitter sorry and then yeah, the and website the tra- website again soccer I, I i had said it before so i at topdrawsoccer.com is our website check us out there too if you like what we do, send me a message, a uh, direct message on Twitter or whatever, or just at me and I will, I'm always willing to get talk soccer online. I spend too much time doing it literally for a living, which is pretty cool. Don't get me wrong. 
All right. Thank you for listening to another episode of the 343 podcast. And thank you to my guest, Travis Clark, for coming on the show and sharing his thoughts and opinions. And I really want to say thank you to Travis for the work that he does that nobody else wants to do. That stuff that nobody sees. That stuff that is very, very meaningful work. And I couldn't be more appreciative for the stuff that he does for American soccer players. If you want to find more information about the 343 coaching education program, the program that funds this podcast, you can find all of that at 343coaching.com. And if you are unfamiliar with us or just finding us for the first time and you want to see what we're all about, we have a free course. Or if you want to dive in head first, or if you've been following us for a while, we have the premium education course, which is a much, much deeper dive. If you need a recommendation for uh, going and signing up for one of our courses, here is Tom Beyer to talk about his experience with taking one of our online courses. And I can tell you, after someone who's done a lot of coaches' education, both as a student as an instructor, that you will learn more by watching one or two of their videos that you might learn on any full-time course. Because the, the one thing that I like about what they're presenting is, again, it's simplicity, man. It's very simple. It's not a lot of, you know, complicated words. It makes sense. And it goes right directly to the heart of, of, of the game on, on, on how, to, how to develop um, not just, you know, individual players, but develop teams as well. And once again, if you are looking to find more information about these programs and start learning from us, you can visit 343coaching.com. That's the numbers 343coaching, all spelled out, dot com. All right. Thank you for listening. And we will catch you next time here on the 343 podcast.